Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Well done. Thanks, John. Uh, So the reading is on your leaflet. Keep that in front of you. You can keep checking what I'm saying is actually there. So Ethan and Nathan are getting baptised today. Um, And baptism is much more than this, but it's it's kind of an initiation ceremony, isn't it? And, And all cultures have initiation ceremonies to mark the beginning of things and moving into things. So, for example, a long time ago, I used to have hair. And this barbers that I went to, they had a schoolboy sweeping up the hair, and they sent him to the hardware store across the road to ask for the special glasses. And he came back, drawn on his face with a texter, in black texter, a pair of glasses. Goodness knows what the poor boy's mum must have thought. <laughs> we won't do that to Ethan and Nathan. We won't do that. Um, or when I used to work as a radiographer in x-ray, and whenever we had a new recruit, we used to give them a fake request form with a funny name to go and stand in front of a full waiting room and call out. Mine was Dancing Queen. Fell for that hook, line, and sinker. But you go through the initiation, and then you kind of helps you be part of the team, doesn't it? You're on the inside, you're on board. But then what? What next? And for Ethan and Nathan, and for all of us, what next? Uh, We're part of church, most of us, because we love God, because we love his people, and we really want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to sin less, love more. We want to be better Christians, don't we? But how do we do that? How do we go about that? How do we do that when life is hard and actually being a Christian makes it harder most of the time? How do we grow when we discover that we're capable of being even more sinful than we thought we were? We can become desperate to do better, to grow, and that desperation can send us looking in the wrong places for answers. So that's why the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians. See, that 
they might be grown in their faith, but when they're wobbling, other Christians have come in saying, you started with Jesus, he saved you, and that's great. But to get the full deal, to be a proper, fulfilling your destiny, living victorious kind of Christian, to honor God's plans for you, you need to move on to move up. That's what they're saying. You need to move on to move up. You just need that little extra. And it's put them in danger, verse 8, of being taken captive. Literally, that says, of being kidnapped. See, the gospel, you know, we read it in the Apostles' Creed. The gospel is such good news, we can end up living like it's too good to be true, that we need to bring something extra to the table. We have uh, growth groups where we, do, we get to know each other better and pray and we do Bible studies. And we did a study on this passage um, and it began with these questions that are on the screen. Thanks, Graham. I found these really helpful for checking yourself to see if you've smuggled in any Jesus plus extra requirements. So what's your gut reaction? No, don't think about it too much. What's your gut reaction to this? Just think to yourself. I think we'll be a, I'll be a more fulfilled and complete Christian if I... I'll be marked out as a more deeply devoted Christian if I... God will really forgive me if... I will be successful in my Christian life if I... And if I really want to be an insider at this church, I need to... So just hold in your head what your gut reactions to that, and we'll think about them again at the end. And I think those gut reactions help us to know what we think we need to do, what we think, where we think we need to go, who we need to be to keep growing. But here in Colossians 2, the answer is actually pretty surprising, I think. You are already where you need to be, and you already have everything you need. Those are just our two headings. There's an outline that if you're into taking notes, you can. It's on there. You're already where you need to be. So verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In other words, carry on as you started. So let's work this out. How did they, just as you receive Christ, how did they receive? Have a look at this side. This um, is chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. The Colossians, they heard the gospel, the good news, that they heard a news report, a message with content about who Jesus is and what he's done and how they needed to respond in repentance and faith. They learned it. They learned it from Epaphras. And with God's help, they understood it. So Epaphras wasn't doing just a, a dry sharing of facts, you know, and didn't just give them a tract or something. Epaphras was speaking personally about Jesus, who he himself had received. So when we're telling people about Jesus... We're sharing a true story of cosmic, universal, profound significance, creation-wide significance. But we're also telling a really personal story that's changed everything about us. And it's a story that God himself brings home to us. Uh, Paul puts it like this in 1 Thessalonians. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So they received 
Christ Jesus as Lord, when they heard the good news message about him, believed in him and made him king of their lives, handed their lives over to him. And this is the way we continue. We grow up by standing still. We grow up by standing still. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So this continuing, Paul puts in two pictures, doesn't he? Of a tree and of a building. Uh, Not things generally that move anywhere. So a a tree grows up, doesn't it? And a tree grows out and its roots grow down. But it doesn't lift its roots up and shuffle off somewhere else to put the roots elsewhere. So our roots are to stay in Jesus. If we're offered anything to help us grow, to become fuller, that doesn't turn us to Jesus, then we can reject it. So that's a tree. Similarly, they're building a junior school over there, the other side of the site. And those builders, they'll have a firm gospel message, if you like. They'll have the blueprints, the plans. That's where they keep returning to, to know how to grow the building. They don't think, oh, let's put a a workshop over there. This is what Mark, let's put a, a workshop over there. That'll look better over there, won't it? And ignore the plans. That wouldn't work out. The building on the foundations. So as we, we quite rightly want to grow and mature as Christians, become more like Jesus, good aim. But we don't do that by finding new, innovative teaching. You see, the Apostle Paul reckons there's two streams of information about how to carry on, how to grow. There's the original source that we received, the Apostle's gospel message that now we've got written down in the Bible and the rest of the Bible pointing to it, it fulfilling the rest of the Bible. We've got the original source and then the stuff that's just made up by humans. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So he's not saying there's anything wrong with philosophy itself. You know, philosophy is organized, rigorous thought, you know, a discipline of thought. There's nothing wrong with that, and it can be really helpful. Now, the warning is that what can kidnap us and drag us away from Jesus by deceiving us are teachings that try to convince us that we can progress, grow, based on merely human traditions or on stuff that can sound spiritual but is actually really worldly or even demonic. Human tradition. So, for example, I used, um, growing up as a teenager, I had a foster brother, Dave, Great bloke. Um, he had an intellectual disability. Um, and he used to go and visit his family. It was about seven kilometres away. And you could get a bus there. But if Dave missed the bus, he'd just walk. But with his, his disability, David could only remember the route to get there by the bus route, which was literally all around the houses. It was roughly twice as far to follow the bus route instead of taking the direct route. So 
human, the sort of human tradition of the bus route was, was higher in his mind than what the truth, the truth of what the shortest route would have been. Merely human traditions, philosophies can sound great, can seem really convincing, and they can seem to make a lot of sense, but end up having no value in growing you up as a Christian. So don't hear me knocking philosophy. It's, you don't have to leave your brain at the door when you come to church. Use your noggin. Use the gifts that God's given you. But don't be deceived. You can grow from things that are merely human. That teaching that encourages moving on from Jesus, that's exactly the opposite of growing up. Moving on from Jesus is the opposite of growing up. And it would be easy at this point for me to pick on all the church traditions and all the things that they add to Jesus. But actually, none of those things are going to happen in here today, or ever, really. But what's the danger for us? I reckon the answer is in those gut reactions we had to those questions at the beginning. Other things we sneak in to add to what we need. You are already exactly where you need to be, rooted and built up in Christ. And moving on is not moving up. So if someone tells you you need to move on from Jesus to grow up, if somebody tells you you need to move on, you tell them to jog on, as we say in Manchester. Because you already have everything you need. Excuse me. You already have everything you need. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So let's get our head around this fullness, right? Everything, think of, think of who and what God is. Everything that is God, about God, is found in Christ. Everything about God is found in Christ. He is God in skin. There's no attribute of God we can think of biblically that Jesus isn't. Now, we're going down to a beautiful beach later on today. Um, That beach was made through Jesus for Jesus. Every heartbeat that's happened in this room this morning, sustained by Jesus. He's the head over every power and authority. So there is nothing and no one that he has to answer to. Everything and everyone answers to Jesus. Jesus is fully God. Full. Full as full can be. Full, full, McFull face. Just full, all right? Jesus is full. And, verse 10, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Not might be brought to fullness, not will be brought to fullness if only you can work out what the secret source is or manage the right way to fill yourself. Already full. Why? How? Because Jesus is full and you are full of Jesus. In Christ is how Paul puts it. And have a look at your passage on your leaflet. And if you've got a pen, underline everywhere it says, in Christ or in him. 
in Christ. Another way of putting it is, his story is your story. His story is your story. That's what verse 11 and 12 are about. Paul uses that image of circumcision and baptism to remind the Colossians of what is already true for them. So circumcision was performed on every Jewish male. It was a permanent physical sign of covenant, of an unbreakable promise between God and his people. But when we became in Christ, it's not just a small bit of flesh that is permanently changed. Our whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. We're changed from the inside out, at our heart, at the very nature of who we are, our very being, we're changed at that level. We are fundamentally in Christ. That's who we are now. Our sinful self just making cameo appearances. Our sin no longer defines who we are. Jesus defines who we are. And he's full. He's got real power and authority to change us from the inside out. And the baptism picture, verse 12, that fleshes this out even more. Now, baptism doesn't actually achieving this. It's an outward physical demonstration of a spiritual reality. But as, as the boys are going to be lowered into the water, it's signifying our old dead self being dead and buried with Christ. As they come back up, signifying the spiritually resurrected already. And we don't always feel that way, do we? But we have this new life, this fullness by faith, just by trusting and relying, by owning, relying on the fact that Jesus has done it all for us, that he'll keep transforming us. Verse 13, by faith, we've moved from being dead in our sin to being alive with Christ, completely forgiven. Any sin we ever have done or will do, paid for in full. Verse 13, he forgave us all our sins. Verse 14, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling far from God? Unworthy? Feel like a rubbish Christian? Stay rooted and built up. In this truth. God's enemy Satan. Loves to accuse us. And keep us wallowing. In guilt. And it used to be. That Satan could accuse us before God. And say look. Look at what they've done. Look at how they've rejected you. They've been bad to people. And by God's. Own holy and perfect standards. We would deserve death. Satan would say they deserve death and he'd be right. But now, well, that's gone. His weapon against us has been taken away. He's got nothing on us. Our legal indebtedness has been cancelled, nailed to the cross. So no one can offer you anything you haven't already got. So I'm going to teach you a phrase. Okay, I learned this when we first moved to Australia. Uh, have you ever been in that situation where people keep offering you an alcoholic drink? And you don't, usually because they want to justify themselves having another one. They keep saying, go on, go on, have another one. And I tried, no, thank you. I don't want one. And Gareth said, no, 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 you got it wrong. These are the special words you've got to say. You ready for this? 
I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Perfect level of politeness coupled with a dose of Australian passive aggression. (laughs) I'm good, thanks. You need to be circumcised. I'm good, thanks. My whole body of of flesh has been cut off and buried with Christ. You need a more exciting experience of Christianity, a more victorious living kind of Christianity. I'm good, thanks. All life comes from Jesus, and I'm full of him. I'm full of that same power that raised Jesus from the grave. That's at work in me. I'm good, thanks. Uh, You need to be really forgiven. You need communion or you need to do the right kind of confession or the right forms of baptism to be really, truly forgiven. I'm good, thanks. You want to find my guilt? You'll find it nailed to the cross. God forgave all my sins, not some, not most, all. I'm good, thanks. In Christ... I'm good, thanks. So where to from here? Where to for all those things we looked at at the start? Completeness, marks of devotion, forgiveness, success, being an insider. Well, it's staying rooted in Christ for more of the same. More of the same. In this letter, and um, his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this long list of what great Christians they are, how full of faith they are, and then... He prays for more of the same. So in Colossians 1.9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In other words, he's praying that they know the fullness that they already have. Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may... Know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. In other words, so that you can see more clearly what you've already got. See, the gospel is really very simple. I could tell you the gospel in five minutes or less. And yet Jesus and his good news have enough depth and majesty and grace and love to spend more than a lifetime getting to know deeper. More than a lifetime. You speak to our oldest people here, I reckon they'll tell you they're still learning new things, new insights into the the gospel. Not new as in new innovative teaching, but knowing deeper the same stuff they knew donkeys years ago. It's a bit like being married, you know. The day you get married, you are objectively, factually, Husband and wife. And hopefully you probably already know each other pretty well. But you don't leave it at that, do you? You grow up together. You get to know each other deeper and deeper. Until you find 26 years later that your wife doesn't actually like ice cream that you've kept suggesting going for. Or it's like meeting identical twins. Okay? So I remember in year nine at high school, um, Maureen and Michelle came to join us, identical twins. At first, you couldn't tell them apart. Which one are you? You know, they used to get really cross with us. But after a term with them, 
I don't know how I ever thought they were identical twins. They look completely different. Because we've become more familiar, we got to know them deeper. And I had a disastrous date with Maureen, but that's a different story. Anyway, <laughs> we don't need to move on from Jesus to grow, to go deeper, to be sure that we have life to the full and have it forever. There's enough about Jesus to last us a lifetime. And the great assurance is, his story is our story. So whatever we feel we're lacking, we already have it in Christ. We're already full. So just to finish, I want to speak to three groups of people. First, if you're not a believer, if you're not following Jesus, have a look in verse 6, what Jesus is called. He's called the Christ or Messiah. That means he's God's chosen one, God's chosen king, ruling over everything. All this was made through him, for him. Every one of us owes him our life. But the thing is, he's not a tyrant with that authority. He's really kind and good and loves you, wants the best for you, and has rescued you with that power and authority. He gave up all his rights of honor and cozy place in heaven to die in our place so that we can be forgiven. So the question is, do you want to spend the rest of your life trying to make it full enough for yourself? Or will you hand over the reins and enjoy his fullness? Second, some of us here might be feeling cripplingly guilty about how we've gone wrong or feeling stuck that we're taking more steps back than forwards with God. God wants you to grow, and he promises to help you do that. But you've got to start from a place from knowing you can't be any more forgiven than you already are. Fully forgiven, place in heaven locked in, loved fully right now. And thirdly, there might be some of us thinking, is that it? You know, another classic Trinity Church kind of sermon telling me to read the Bible more. Well, unashamedly, yes. That is what I'm saying. Because in the Bible is where you'll find the truth, where you'll find the foundation to build on, where you'll find the good soil to grow roots in that will actually grow you up instead of some daft human idea that sounds clever. So just ask God to show you more of himself, to show you more of Jesus in his word. And finally, finally, preachers finally, here's the real one. Here's the aim for all of us, right? Every single one of us. To be, verse 7, overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness is our aim. Because I think if we aim to be super special ninja Christians with everything all together all the time, then we'll just end up in despair. But if instead we aim for thankfulness, well, that means we're aiming to become more and more aware, more and more grateful for the fullness that we already have. 
And as we become more and more aware of that, as God blesses us more and more, there's no room left in our hearts. And so as we top up the cylinder, as it were, thankfulness overflows. So make thankfulness your aim. Thankfulness for what you already have. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Thank you that in him we are full, fully accepted, fully forgiven, fully pleasing to you. We do long to honour you and glorify you and help one another by becoming more mature, more like Jesus, better Christians. Please uh, defend us from going off-paste and trying something new and clever-sounding to get there. Keep us rooted and built up in Jesus. Amen.